Hello and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, aka Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, aka Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vanderjesus. Here we are, the first secret, which is an episode that takes place entirely in the pre-series, because by this point in the timeline, we're at the 351st secret at the very least. Uh, (laughs) We have a fully alive and action-oriented Allison, who the camera follows for most of the episode. It's an unusual setup because we only get a handful of non-Ally scenes. She's probably on screen for all but maybe eight minutes of the episode. When Arya talks to Byron, the scenes with Hannah and her mom, Emily and Toby at the truck, and then, of course, when she's missing from the party. And she is indisputably the main character. When Allie's alive, it's her world. Uh, The episode is also a bit of a turning point where the solution to the first A mystery is on the horizon, and they start, start dropping more breadcrumbs that Mona is A, as well as setting up a few pieces of season three and beyond, like our first nod to Radley. Episode is also super queer with lady loving eye sex happening all over the place. Jenna comes to town, Mona's in a cat suit, Spencer's in a ridiculous gown, and Noel is smirking like it's going out of style. <laughs> oh, it is such a fun episode. It's probably uh, one of the more like teenagery feeling episodes of the series. Like the stakes of everything have not been so terribly heightened. Uh, I- I would say maybe the best Allison episode. What do you think? I would agree because she's still Allison complex at this point. Yeah. And we're getting, uh, we're getting into Allison's sort of inner, inner story in this episode in a way that I don't think we ever do. And they have a handle I feel on balancing, um, keeping Allison still kind of mysterious and a little bit unlikable and yet we still get a sense of who she is, which is something I think the show struggled with very much as it went on. Yes. And I also agree this look at the liar's friendship pre-series and how it was so mm-hmm. oriented on Allison in almost every episode of PLL. I'm going to actually, I'm going to say every episode up until this point, there've been multiple scenes where it's just different combinations. Spencer and Aria doing something, uh, Emily and Hannah doing something, Emily and Spencer investigate, you know, there are all different mm-hmm. uh, combinations and permutations and in this episode, there's only like a very brief moment uh, at the lunch table and then later at the party where we see the liars interacting with each other in Allison's absence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there's a real sense, and I'm sure we'll get into the specifics of this as we go on, that this is kind of intentional on Allie's part because she wants them segmented. She wants them reliant on her. She wants them each seeing her as their best friend, not any of the other, you know, combinations of them to, to be closer because that could make them more powerful. A hundred percent agree. Would you like to take us in? Sure. We begin. It's, it's spooky. It's Halloween. We know it's Halloween because there are pumpkins everywhere. Um, Allie and voiceover says, this is how I heard the story, which I just love that we get that line in Allie's voice. Um, Allie narrates this story as we watch these two blonde twin girls in, it looks like the 60s, uh, playing with each other. 
they're just kind of playing normally until one wants a doll that the other one doesn't want to give up. And it seems like it's going to turn into some kind of fight to the death as one of the twins goes to retrieve a kitchen knife. And we cut to Hannah and Allison and a very terrified looking little boy sitting in the Marin kitchen carving pumpkins. Hannah is babysitting and she's going to get fired if this little boy tells his parents about the story that Allison's saying. Allison says the little boy won't tell and he likes the story. Um, and she continues narrating as uh, Hannah says that he's been warned. Uh, we see we go back into the story and we see that one twin has murdered the other. The parents come home looking very distressed. Uh, Allison says that they had no choice but to send her away to a home for the criminally insane to punctuate this very spooky story. Allie stabs the pumpkin with a big kitchen knife. Uh, yeah, and that's and then we cut to spooky credits, including blood on the walls. Extra scary. Um, so. First of all, uh, Hannah's prophecy definitely comes true. She clearly got fired because we never see Hannah babysitting ever again. <laughs> that no, that's not true. We see her. Don't we see her babysitting um, Ezra's not son? Is it Hannah that babysits him, or is it Arya? Yeah. Hannah babysits him because um, Han- there's that flyer at school that Hannah babysits. Arya also babysits him and he ends up in the hospital. But Hannah babysits him and that's how they figure out that Spencer might be on the A-team. Oh, man. Hannah is a terrible babysitter. (laughs) She's a terrible babysitter. Of course she is. (laughs) Um, But also, what do we make of this story in hindsight? Is this a story that Allison made up off the top of her head to scare this kid? Uh, Is this something that she heard from Jessica or Jason is uh, is there a version where Jessica tells this uh, story or Kenneth tells this story to uh, to kind of like give a little bit of a push on the bruise that Charlotte is in a home for the criminally insane? Well, those are all good questions. I think that there's so much with Allison in this episode that's like potential foreshadowing, right? And and. My guess is that they wrote this episode kind of with that in mind. Like, we might use this down the line. I'm pretty sure that they always knew at some point they were going to do a sibling or twin twist. And they ended up doing that in, like, three different ways throughout the series. Um, And, you know, and also this is, like, this episode is full of tropes from scary movies, right? So this is kind of, like, a little bit The Shining. There's going to be a lot of Halloween and Scream homages throughout this episode. Um, so to answer your question, I think I could easily see this being a story that Allison kind of cobbled together from the bits of her family's history that she knows, and maybe from stories that she's heard from other family members. Certainly, there are lots of parallels to the Charlotte and Alex Drake situations, and Mary Drake, actually. True, true. Uh, all right, so this next scene, like, it, it goes on, a lot of the scenes in this episode, like, go on, they contain a lot, so, um, but the liars are in pre-show formation with Allie in the lead. Emily is at her side while the other three girls trail along behind them. M is wearing a pink polo shirt. Spencer is in the back of the gang with huge glasses and a preppy sweater. Um, Aria is wearing like three shirts, two belts, and I think two skirts. <laughs> Hannah's wearing a willowy ensemble that looks like something Tara would have worn to do spells with on Buffy. Um, Allie is discussing whether to allow Hannah to go as cute Brittany or bald Brittany for Halloween. Emily votes for cute Brittany because she's really sweet. 
Um, Arya doesn't get the joke. It's not like she's going to shave her head, <laughs> she says, which is like, Allison would totally make Hannah shave her head. What, what show are you? Arya's always been on a different show, apparently. Um, <laughs> Spencer has just procured nine votes from the debate team and goes on to explain the words procured and obtained to Hannah. She also says uh, that Hannah should go as anyone she wants. Emily says that Ben wants her to be a sexy cop, but she's thinking of something more culturally appropriative, like an Indian girl, by which I believe she means Native American. People are not costumes, Emily. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, that, that's, a, that's a bit of writing that didn't age particularly well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you want to take Noel Khan rolling up? Oh, my God. I, I was so delighted by this. So this car rolls up. Noel Khan is in the passenger side with uh, like a, just a bunch of nameless, faceless jocks in the rest of the car. Um, he is ready to spar with Allison and flirt a little bit with Aria. Uh, he invites them to their party, and then Allison is embarrassed at how excited all of the other liars get. I'm so delighted by this scene. I am endlessly fascinated by the relationship between Allison and Noel. And also, I had totally forgotten. I mean, I, I knew that, obviously, that they went to Noel's party, but I had forgotten this whole setup. And, like, I'm actually, you know, writing this high school AU fic right now where they all go to Noel's party. And so this was especially delightful for me. The liars are super, super cute. I'm curious, though, what is your headcanon about Allison and Noel's past? Because basically, we know, we learned throughout the series that they do have this kind of um, relationship where they just sort of take care of one another. Noel always is happy to do things for Allison because he has secrets too. Uh, what's what? What do you think is their their history? Well, uh, you know, I I have a fic, which I guess this is a, a spoiler <laughs> alert for, where uh, I do believe that Allie and Noel have maybe been uh, previously involved, uh, and mm-hmm. that there might be some things that she's holding over him uh, in in respect to that. Um, so I think that's possible, but I think that at this point in the show, uh, at this point in the pre-series at least, Allie and Noel are very much cut from the same cloth. The difference mm-hmm. is that she is a woman, so she's like seen as kind of a bitch, whereas he's a guy, so these qualities in him are seen as like, you know, admirable and typical and just that's how popular dudes are. Um, so I think they're cut from the same piece of cloth. And I think that their relationship, if I had to say what my headcanon is, I think that Allie is really good at keeping people kind of on a string. And I think that she has Noel very much. Like, I I think that he likes her. I think he feels like a kinship with her. uh, And I think that he, she treats him like he's an equal more than she treats other people that way. Um, and so I think that that's kind of what makes their relationship seem really different from a lot of other relationships, particularly that she has with men on the show in the later seasons. Totally agree. I, I really, um, I really like how Noel, unlike so many other characters, Noel actually seems to like Allison. He doesn't just seem to obey her out of fear or obligation. Um, yeah, I, I like, I kind of like the idea that they probably like, maybe lost their virginities to one another but like it just it wasn't a huge deal but it just kind of became a thing and they just sort of have this dynamic that's it's not boyfriend and girlfriend it has an edge of flirtatiousness but they're just sort of there for one another yeah 
Yeah, I agree with that. Also, I think it's so interesting. The liars get so super excited about being invited to Noel's party. Um, also, because there's a, a date, an actual date that was on the screen uh, at, at the beginning of this episode. It was October 28th, 2008. So it would be two months into the liars freshman year. Uh, it's about nine months before Allison's going to disappear. Uh, and it's interesting to think at this point, the liars could still be socially separated like allison would definitely be invited to noel's party because she's the it girl and emily would presumably still be invited to the party because she's dating ben who is like a swim jock so you could see the two of them being invited but you can also see like uh you know artsy outsider aria might not be invited um hannah who just doesn't have a lot of self-confidence might not be invited um spencer could potentially as as a nerd not be invited so it's interesting uh it's interesting to think of that because it's very difficult to imagine at any point like past 1b of a social event that one of them would be invited to that they would not all just automatically bring everyone to that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, the liars are, I think, much more uh, defined by sort of their archetypes in this past version of themselves. Um, and I'm just, yeah, I find the dynamics of sort of the social, the social dynamics of the Rosewood High student body really interesting in this episode. Yes, yes. Um, so the so yeah we kind of continue this is like this as you said like this one long walk down down the rosewood the main street of rosewood uh the liars walk by this creepy old house emily says that she sees someone in the window aria says she gets a bad feeling um the halloween as in the movie halloween vibes are super strong here as they talk about how you know this is like this creepy old house that nobody should go to and there's a radley sanitarium car parked in the driveway our first mention of Radley. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true, isn't yeah. it? That's that's a big deal. That's going to be such a huge part of the show moving forward. It is. It is. Um, then we have Emily walking up to Toby, who's hanging around the back of a moving truck rather aimlessly, uh, as in... <laughs> He's not moving boxes. He's just kind of standing there morosely while picking at the bubble wrap around Jenna's snow globes, <laughs> which were just rolling loose around the truck. This is not a professional moving job. <laughs> Emily asks if he's moving. Uh, he says his dad got married again and they're moving in. Uh, is Toby okay with that? It hasn't been that long since his mom, dot, 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 uh, Emily does not finish that sentence, but Toby nods and says it was a year last week. So Marion Cavanaugh died around the week of October 21st, 2007. Charlotte, I just want to point out, is supposed to be slightly older than Jason and Melissa, who are six years older than the Liars. Liars would have been 13 in 2007. So Charlotte at this time, at that time, would have been at least 19 or 20. It's possible that age, like money, doesn't really exist in this universe or just that the writers are lazy. But I'm just going to say that if they wanted the Charlotte, Bethany, Marion backstory, why didn't they just throw in a line somewhere that Marion had been in a coma for several years or something? Oh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, it, it also, like... Was it terribly necessary that Charlotte be super young when Marion died? Like, why couldn't Charlotte have been 19 when Marion died? I don't know. I, I don't know because they, 
who knows what they wanted to do there but yeah this is just weird it's so weird this is like the one time that they like actually pin something on a particular timeline and then that is just like they, they do it once and just because they're so unused to it it all unravels like crazy yeah yeah absolutely um but toby goes on to explain that his new mom already has a daughter emily holding one of the snow globes like it isn't an artifact of evil asks what she like <laughs> toby replies she gets what she wants Further note, remember how Toby and Emily are virtual strangers when the series starts? Their ease <laughs> with one another in this scene is much more in keeping with their later show friendship. And this is the first direct timeline contradiction, as Spencer previously told us that Garrett and Jenna grew up down the street from each other, but here we see her about to move in. Unless she was moving from just down the street, and that's why the snow globes didn't have far to travel. But... <laughs> this is a lot of mess for one brief conversation but it introduces us to some themes that become important later namely marion being a driving force for toby later on and another tie into radley uh, also emily is entranced by this snow globe and fondles it for so long i think jenna might consider it foreplay <laughs> Oh, Jenna so would consider fondling her snow globes to be foreplay. Yeah, the Emily-Jenna vibes in this episode, especially since Emily has been so mean to Jenna in the, like, the current timeline in the last few episodes. I mean, wasn't it, like, last episode or the one before where we got Move Your Stick, Jenna? <laughs> and, like, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting in this episode. Although, given how much Emily is into Jenna in this episode, it gives the Move Your Stick thing a whole nother read. <laughs> since you brought it up that's fair um so speaking of jenna we go over to Allie at the costume shop uh Allie is really waiting until the last minute to buy her costume here uh she kind of feels like she's being watched which throughout this episode we have a lot of like voyeur camera work happening um and then someone like clasps a hand over her mouth they're wearing a mask Allie freaks out she turns around and it's noel they kind of smile at each other. Um, Noel has this like creepy zombie mask, zombie baby mask thing on. And she says, you know, that she, he should have it at the party. Uh, they kind of like flirt-ish, like sort of like flirt laugh joke about the party and like what Noel's going to do. But then Allie spies this new girl who is Jenna, who is very pretty and a little more dolled up than we're used to seeing her and also notably not blind. Allie is then going to refer to Lady Gaga as Lady G like 18 times throughout this episode. I don't think anybody has ever called Lady Gaga Lady G. It was to the point where I wondered if like they weren't allowed to say Gaga or something. Yes. They, they kept doing it and it was super weird. And also like at the time that this is set, I think Just Dance is the only song that Lady Gaga had out. So I found it really questionable whether like there would be this frenzy for how many people <laughs> want to dress like Lady Gaga at a party. But you do you, PLL. Well, it's super weird because I, I also thought I was like, okay, so clearly for legal reasons, they can't say Gaga. Like they're just saying G. But then at the end of the episode, they play Just Dance and Hannah refers to her as Lady Gaga. So I'm like, so what was all this nonsense at the beginning of the episode? It was like halfway through filming, they got clearance to like use her, her music and her actual like stage name. And they were like, okay. 
Um, so anyway, uh, Allison is planning on going as Lady G for Halloween. Uh, Jenna, it seems, is planning the same thing, which is not going to fly. Jenna uh, was not planning on dressing up, but she got invited to some party hosted by some guy named Noel. Uh, they share a little bit of banter about who's going to be Lady G. Jenna doesn't get to be her if Allie's going to be her. But also there is some palpable chemistry as they introduce uh, each other or they as they introduce themselves to each other. I'm Allison, Allison says. I know. I'm Jenna. And then they have sex in the storage closet of the costume shop. Oh, is that not how this scene ends? It actually ends with Allison getting a text that says, I'm watching you, turning to someone in a mask and going, freak. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. This scene has uh, such good stuff. This episode really is like a rogues gallery of the early season PLL possible villains. You have Noel, you have Jenna, we see Wilden uh, later on. It's it's just <laughs> some some great work uh, to get all these people in, in the same episode. Uh, this is really when Noel grabs Allison uh, and, and scares her. I feel like uh, this is like the level of danger that I I really like Noel Khan to represent. Like he seems scary, but he's really like kind of just a smirky dirtbag puppy dog. Um, that's <laughs> like that's the Noel that I really have a great fondness for in my heart. Isn't it so weird how Noel will be beheaded by the end of the series? Like you watch these early seasons where he's just kind of like you said, like he's. He's re- so low-level menacing. He's kind of, like, charming in this weird way. He has really, I think, good chemistry with pretty much everybody, all of the liars. And then it's so weird to think, like, this dude's going to get beheaded. That's so weird. It is. It is. Early seasons Noel does not deserve the fate of later seasons Noel, I feel. Um, but, yeah, this is, a, this is a great scene. Do you think this costume shop is, uh, it's Shauna costume shops, costume shop? <laughs> Pre-Shauna. Um, Pre-Shauna. Although, oh gosh, timeline stuff. Because doesn't Allie, didn't Allie and Shauna grow up? Like, doesn't, wouldn't Allie within the show know Shauna at this point? Well, yeah, but Shauna hasn't come to town yet. That's right. Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, although it is Rosewood, it feels like they probably would have lost lots of costume shops. Also, <laughs> it just occurred to me as we were talking about the beheading that like, of all of the male characters, Noel is, like, the one male character who actually gets, like, super punished and has a terrible fate. And there are so many dudes who I feel are so much more deserving of, like, actually something bad happening to them. That is, that is a great point. No. Anyway, we'll get there. <laughs> um, in the Hastings house, Allie is on camera for Ian talking about her grandma, who used to be a sweater model but is now old and bad smelling and lives in Georgia. She takes the camera and flirts with him, uh, quickly shutting it down as Spencer and Melissa come downstairs. Spencer is holding her enormous glasses and Melissa is openly praising Spencer's planned election speech as the two of them appear downright fond of one another. The speech is perfect and Allison uh, comments to Spencer having a, about having a perfect older sister. Melissa comments on Spencer being perfect because she is a Hastings knowing what we know now I think it's an interesting read to think that both Melissa and Allison might know but not be revealing the circumstances of Spencer's birth in this scene uh Mm. 
there's also some sizzling back and forth between Allison and Melissa. Man, so far in this episode, I've wanted to ship Emerson, Jenna Allison, and now Allison Melissa. Early Allison has chemistry with all of the ladies. Uh, we also learned that Melissa and Ian are going to dress up as Bonnie and Clyde, and that Spencer's parents are already planning her victory party. Oh, man, this scene is so interesting. Like, gosh, Allie and Ian are really bold, like doing this whole camera film thing in the Hastings house house with Melissa and Spencer just upstairs. Oh, man. Also, I really enjoy reading this scene through the lens of Charlotte and Melissa that like Charlotte and Melissa have been, again, timeline be damned. I don't know where Charlotte is at this point, but let's just say she's out enough that Charlotte and Melissa could have been um, hooking up in the background. And I don't know. I just, I, I think that adds an interesting wrinkle to all of these dynamics. She has been out and about because Charlotte has already met Ian by this point in the show. He took her picture for the yearbook that she's in with he and Jason and Melissa. Good, good, good tracking there. <laughs> Would you like as if any of that timeline matters? Oh. Well, exactly. <laughs> Time does not really exist on this show, nor does money. Um, no, but yeah, I, I do like the Melissa Charlotte idea. Um, would you like to take this gratuitous scene at Hollis College that we're about to get? Oh my goodness! Sure. The uh, the Presria theme starts playing in the background as sort of a like baby goth aria bumps into bumbling student Ezra Fitz standing in the hallway, but. Luckily, we're not going to linger over this interaction. Um, he, you know, again, timeline-wise, like Ezra's probably hooking up with Allison at this point. Um, maybe. Who knows? It's, it's, if it hasn't happened yet, it's going to happen soon. Um, Arya goes into her dad's office. I really love, um, I love teenage Arya. Like, I feel like Arya, it's like Arya before she was ruined by Ezra and her father. Like, she's just, she has this, like, this energy to her that I really love, like there's this, this casualness to her. Um, she writes her dad a note and happens upon Meredith, who is lounging on Byron's couch and reading some James Joyce. When Byron shows up, it's super awkward as Meredith takes forever to get her stuff together and get her shoes on to leave the room. Uh, Byron, Arya's like alarm bells are clearly going off here, but Byron quickly uh, makes some comment about how students crash here all the time because you're so cool, Arya teases. Yeah, I'm down with that, Byron replies. They giggle, uh, but Byron is absolutely so terrible. Um, I also, and we'll get into this later, but I think it's really interesting how they, like, they kind of take Arya's plotline from the pilot of the affair and that whole flashback sequence. That's really the only flashback sequence that was clearly filmed earlier that they work into this episode, and they kind of write Arya's plot around it. But I actually think it works really well, which is in contrast to later in the series when they'll try to do similar things like that, um, and it'll just fall completely flat. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I have several notes on, on this scene. I don't know why they included that uh, once-in-future predator interaction in the hallway. Um, but man, I feel like Meredith, the way that she is just like lounging on this couch in her bare feet like that that is some like next level making herself at home and uh aria you're you're right that like there might be some bells going off but she just looks at byron in this scene like the sun rises and sets on his shoulder 
in, in a way that we definitely never see her look at him uh, after after this this particular uh, episode is going to conclude. Um, but also when Byron claims that students come and hang out in his office when he's not there all the time, um, do you think male students do this? Has has Presra Fitz ever lain tight shirt unbuttoned supine on Byron's couch? Asking for the fanfics. <laughs> oh my god. Is this is this podcast gonna be like the slow evolution of us turning into Byron and Ezra shippers? Like what talk about a joke <laughs> turns into like something real. Talk about two characters who deserve each other. Oh <laughs> my god. Oh my god. But also Byron does a super weird thing when Meredith leaves where he plumps the couch pillows and puts like a suit jacket down on the cushion. Does he think that Meredith left a bra or a pair of panties there? Follow up. (laughs) Did she? (laughs) Follow up. Probably yes. (laughs) Which would then force him to be like, oh yeah, I mean students come in here and hang out and leave their underwear (laughs) all the time. This couch like folds out into a drying rack, Arya. She was just getting her delicates dried out. Oh, I know. I do really like though, like it's subtle, but I totally agree that the energy between Byron and Arya here is really different from anything we see um after this point. Like they're they seem so much more kind of comfortable with each other. They're joking in a way that we never really see. Um it seems much more like a dad-daughter relationship here than like the weird Arya is the third parent dynamic that we see later in the series. Also, uh, Spencer and Melissa are like that. We yes. see them being friendly in the scene in the Hastings house in a way that we really never see them being friendly with each other for the rest of the show. Which like totally makes sense, especially when you find out that Melissa thinks that Spencer killed Allison. And so Allison being gone would completely change the dynamic between them. Mm-hmm. Okay, Hannah is at home in her bedroom wearing cupcake pajamas, eating popcorn, and watching a scary movie while clutching a stuffed animal that I have named Lamtunia. <laughs> it might be a llama, so like... Llama Chop? Llama Chop Tunia. Anyway, a phone rings in time with the scary movie. Hannah tentatively answers it. There's no one there. She hangs up. It rings again. Scary. At first, it seems like no one is there again. But then Allison asks if at the costume shop and if she sent her a text. Hannah's like, what? No. She asks Allie what's wrong as Allie does sound scared. Um, but Allie, you know, kind of blows it off uh, and Hannah cannot press because there is a knock at the door. She goes downstairs and peeks out the curtain, then opens the door to reveal Wilden in a patrol uniform and a drunken Ashley. She got drunk at the grill and he offered to drive her home, uh, which, ew, the grossness of Wilden hanging out in bars and offering drunk ladies rides home. Ugh. Uh, He hits on her and Ashley ignores him. Hannah closes the door in his face, which I love, and Ashley apologizes for the mess that they're in. 
Hannah won't let her take the blame for what Tom did to them. And Ashley curls up on a fancy leather sofa that I'm pretty sure the Marins don't have anymore and then drifts off to sleep as Hannah tells her fairy stories of how ugly Isabel is. Oh, I love this scene so much. Hannah is so adorable as she's, you know, so terrified watching the scary movie. I like the little scream reference with the phone ringing. I kind of wish that Allison had like tried to freak Hannah out by doing a ghost face voice before asking her a question. Why do you think that she assumes that it's Hannah? Or do you think that she asked the other liars and we just didn't see that part? That is a great question. I think that she assumes it's someone who has a grudge against her. And I think that she is aware that she treats Hannah probably the worst at this point of the liars. Um, I think, and and later we're going to see her suspecting spencer of plotting against her so i think that uh i think that she feels like hannah and spencer are kind of uh the low fruit on the totem pole and so they're they're the first people that she goes to also i i wonder if she like hannah is the liar who physically turns into allison and spencer is the liar who takes her position so i think it's possible that she senses in them like a certain a certain quality that she herself has uh, like we'll see her doing later with Emily uh, and that that's what makes her suspicious of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Team Spana kind of like poses the biggest threat in a way. Um, yeah. Well, also do you agree that at this point, Hannah and Spencer have the lowest status in the group? Um, I mean, lowest status in terms of, like according to Allison you mean well yeah I mean I think Allison runs the group at this point and I guess I mean do you think that their positions are the most precarious that Allison would be more willing to let something bad happen to them and or to exile them from the group I think that's absolutely true of Hannah I don't know if that's true of Spencer just because I think that Allison knows that Spencer does have a little bit more of a backbone and also Spencer is a Hastings and I think that Allison has awareness that like that means something and might be less likely to drop to drop a Hastings uh especially given the relationship dynamics between the Hastings and De Laurentiis families that she feels like she might have to keep Spencer close um but I also think like Aria I think Aria feels pretty neutral to her I mean we'll talk more about their dynamic later in this episode and uh, obviously there's a lot going on in her relationship with Emily. Um, but I love the reveal here that Ashley and Wilden had a history before the series started. That feels so right. Um, and it's one, of the, it's one of the sort of like weird retcons that I think totally works, that the two of them did have a dynamic. Um, I think that the Ashley-Wilden relationship is... Um, to me, a really fascinating theme that goes really from the pilot up until Wilden's death. I mean, the two of them are constantly sort of circling one another. And um, it's kind of like Wilden is always after Ashley in one way or another, um, whether it's, you know, whether it's sexually or if she's, if he's reject, if she's rejecting him, you know, he's going to get her for something. So I, I really like kind of the confirmation here that that goes back a ways agree and it seems like based on the way that Wilden has talked about later in this episode 
again, ignore the timeline, um, but that he's a newer cop in town. Uh, I think we, we sort of know, we know that he's newer because he's still a patrol officer. He's in his uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he's more at Garrett's level and of course uh, later Toby's level uh, than his lofty detective status that he has later in the show. Right, right. Um, so Spencer is, uh, so we go to the, to the lunchroom the next day and Spencer is in glasses sitting at the table. Vote for Spencer. There are both for Spencer uh, posters everywhere. Spencer is handing out buttons for people. She is going to be class president if it's the last thing we do. She does. Uh, we go over to the lunch table where Hannah reveals that Ben has been telling everybody that he and Emily had sex last weekend. Aria wants to shut that down, which I really like how in the absence of a less confident Hannah, Aria is kind of like filling in the role of, you know, being the person who stands up specifically for Emily. Uh, But Emily is just as content to kind of let this go. She sort of implies that this is true. Um, Allison comes over and then Mona arrives. Oh, sweet, nerdy Mona with her pigtails and her glasses and her big sweater Allison very cruelly quips, if you ignore it, it will go away. And Mona goes over to another lunch table and sits down. Um, and we see that Lucas is there as well, inspecting some gross-looking sandwich. Uh, we go back over to the liar's lunch table as the Spencer jo- as Spencer rejoins them. And Emily is kind of like retelling this story. Says, uh, Ben is still breathing because. And Aria kind of subtly says, it's true. Hannah thought that Emily was a prude and is shocked that Emily has lost her V-card first, uh, as if Allison hasn't at this point, guys. I mean, come on. Allison replies, shy on the streets, sexy in the sheets. And Emily kind of shyly looks at Allie, seeming to be pleased that Allison thinks that about her. Note their prolonged sexy eye contact that the two of them have there. Um, also, notice Allison doing one of those uh, patented Spencer Hastings, particularly impressed slash interested slash possibly aroused look on her face uh, as they discuss Emily's, uh, we later learn, fictional sex life. Uh, Also, I love that Emily, uh, when Hannah says that she can't believe Emily lost her V before any of them, uh, Emily, like closeted Emily is like on high alert. Like, why would you think that? (laughs) That's when Hannah's like, no offense, I I thought you were a prude, (laughs) which Emily will take. She'll take prude as as opposed to like queer person any day of the week. Yeah, I also, you know, it's funny that Allison, like, she's so much the cool girl and the popular girl, and yet she, I feel like she has all of these phrases that she throws out in this episode that are, like, vaguely old-fashioned and dorky that you can assume that she probably heard from, like, her mom or, like, an older relative or something, because, like, like it's just it's just funny to me that um, it, it totally makes sense because it's, like, how cultivated this persona is of Allison's, you know? Oh yeah, I mean, I love the way that she was bullying Jenna in the in the costume shop when she's basically like, "Hey, nice Halloween you got there. Be a shame if anything happened to it." Like, <laughs> that's her mo. And like here, I love how like she she is practically growling. Like her voice is in like gravelly Trojan register when she says, "And he's still breathing because why?" Like. You know, an argument could certainly be made for some jealousy happening there. Um, Could be made. Who knows? What? 
and maybe we'll get to this later. Where do you think Emily and Allison are in their relationship at this point? Like, do we do we know from the timeline? Do you have a headcanon about it? Like, what do you think? We don't know from the timeline. I think that Emily is already in love with Allison. Oh. I think that that is, I think that that is definitely true. And I think that because, like, un- I think this is an episode when the unspoken becomes spoken. Mm-hmm. I think that Allison, um, whether or not she's conscious of what she understands, I think that she and Emily are kind of maybe quietly walking down a path together that they're not talking about. And this is an episode where then Jenna comes in uh, and she's like this outside force uh, that, that really changes that dynamic significantly. So do you think that they've kissed at this point? I don't think so either. I don't think so either. Yeah, it is interesting. It's like Jenna's Jenna's the secret Emerson shipper of, <laughs> of this episode. Um, now we have uh, Aria and Allison eating froyo and walking around town. Mona calls after them, and while Aria hears her, Allison says to ignore her. They run around a corner holding hands. Does Allison have a little crush on Aria? They switch froyo, which is just adorable. And come upon a car that is not hidden very well, parked half in a bush. Uh, it's Arya's dad's car, and he is making a reptile face as he gives Meredith a lot of tongue. Arya stares at the two of them, stunned, as Byron catches sight of them as well. Yeah, I think this is the exact scene from the pilot. I don't even think they reshot it. It looks it exactly is. like it. Yeah, I mean, Allison did allegedly take all of those pictures of Arya. Like... <laughs> excellent point um so allison is in her bedroom when jason barges in uh i really actually love the sibling dynamic between these two because um allison is like you know why don't you knock jason makes a comment about having a lock on the door and allison replies what are you and your stoner buddies doing behind your locked door uh which of course we know they're doing nat stuff Allie. um uh Allie Jason gets Allie to fork over $20 for beer and he'll tell her what they do and then he says that they're making a movie but it's a secret Allie got a special delivery he hands her a box and when she opens it it is a voodoo doll with the note on it it's my you Allie looks very freaked out and when we come back from commercial she's opening up a vent in her room where she takes out the box that Aria will have earlier this season and discount as just like random Allie crap um Allie takes the torture note and puts it she like takes it off of one doll and puts it in the neck of another creepy doll pulling out a necklace that was uh that was in its place and yeah you know this show just loves to hide stuff in dolls necks does really does Uh, also it's very Veronica Mars of Allie to be hiding the whole thing in the air vent (laughs) and also very Caleb Rivers true true Um, (laughs) she's lucky he wasn't living in there at that time maybe he was (laughs) who knows Over at the Marin house, Ashley is looking at the help wanted ads. She's looking at being a maid for the Hacken family, a nursemaid to a dirty old man, or a branch manager at the Rosewood Bank. The labor market in Rosewood is the true mystery of PLL. (laughs) No one ever needs relevant experience to get hired anywhere. Maybe because the death rate is so high? Enthusiasm and financial necessity are all it takes to work at any place in the town. 
But there is a knock on the door, and Wilden is leaning there. Uh, he took their mail from the mailman and wanted to check on how everyone is doing. They're fine. He worries they may need a man around the house and wants them to know he is available. Ashley sends a clear message that all she needed last night was a ride home. He turns mean as a snake, warning her to be careful on the roads. People are unpredictable. He's not threatening her. He's just trying to be nice. Oh, when he leaves, she tells Hannah he's a horny cop, but they won't be seeing him again. Mm. I really like how Ashley seems a lot more naive in this episode than like the kind of more world weary Ashley that we will that we get to know, you know, in the early seasons of the show. Agreed. Agreed. So we go back over to the Hastings house where Spencer is sewing her Halloween costume. Allison stops by um, and tells Spencer that the, it doesn't look good, this election. Allison, of course, knows people on the election committee, so she has all of the behind-the-scenes scoop. Um, Allison kind of tries to pit the Hastings sisters against one another, talking about how Melissa doesn't let the family see beyond her own glow. Uh, Spencer is getting really freaked out. Her family has this whole party planned. They invited half the club. Allie says she can make it happen for Spencer. Spencer tears up and says that she doesn't want it. She needs it. Um, I also really love how this scene plays with the knowledge that Spencer is on study aid this whole time, presumably. And that's just adding to all of this mounting pressure. Yeah, I love when Spencer says that Melissa is just trying to survive in this family. Just Mm -hmm. like I like that you get the sense that Spencer and Melissa at this time are definitively on the same side. And I like thinking about how this sense of survival in the family is what prompts Melissa to eventually bury Bethany young. Um, It's really like, that's really intense uh, to, to think about in terms of the relationship between those two. I also like when we see Allie putting a pin in Spencer's pumpkin pin cushion, clearly wondering if Spencer is the one who sent the doll. So we heard her ask Hannah. We see her here doing a small investigation of Spencer. And uh, I also just, it occurred to me as I was watching this, it is October of their freshman year. Why is Spencer running for sophomore class president at this time? Like, why wouldn't elections for that be either at the end of this year or the beginning of their sophomore year? We know this is their freshman year because sophomore year is when Allison is missing. Yeah, that's a good... <laughs> yeah, add, it, add it to the stack. Add Spencer, it to the stack of timeline issues. Spencer is such an overachiever and also time does not exist. Uh, yes yes age and time and money like those are just those are just ideas they're not actual real concepts maybe it's like spencer has taken so many classes that she has enough credits to be a sophomore and that's how she graduates on time even though she misses like most of her junior and senior year due to age-related drama just you know thought (laughs) age-related drama slash rehab (laughs) yes yes um oh boy Byron, who I hate so much in this scene and episode, is calmly sitting in Arya's room, leafing through a photo album of family pictures. 
Is he racked with remorse? No, he's hatching a new scheme. He starts to guilt Arya the moment she walks in. He's been calling her all afternoon. She asks where her mom is. She's at the movies with Mike. What does she know? Nothing. And Byron would like to keep it that way. What Arya saw, he claims, was the end of something, not the beginning. Meredith is transferring out of his class. He won't see her again. Remember how he later acts like there's no way for him to conceivably avoid anyone associated with the school? Guy! He sets it all up as him wanting to protect Ella and have Arya not reveal this. So if she drops the dime on him for his infidelity, she's the one who isn't thinking of Ella, not Byron, who, you know, did the cheating. Arya says she can never forgive him. He apologizes and says he knows he's, you know, he knows that she's mad, but he made a mistake. And all he's thinking about now is their family. It is so interesting to think about this in terms of how angry he eventually gets about Presria, because he knows exactly what it takes to sleep with a young female student. He knows because, you know, he's got the playbook. He's got the tricks. He's done it. So he knows just how sleazy it is. He knows how the power imbalance works. And as a father, he's outraged that someone would mirror his own behavior on his daughter. Again, all of the reproaches, but the right. He tries to take Arya's hand and she is full on crying as she shakes him off. Then he leaves saying he'll respect whatever decision she makes now that he's weighted the decision on her shoulders. This fucking bastard. He could also confess his indiscretion to his wife and act like a goddamn adult and accept the consequences. But no, he's a man in Rosewood. He's not going to do that. Ella deserves to know who she's married to. There's no protecting her from that knowledge, honestly. Uh, And also his lines about making a mistake that he hopes will end here. He's making a more enormous mistake by enlisting their daughter as his co-concealer. You know, bullshit on him thinking about their family. He is thinking about nothing other than how much he wants to save his own skin and get away with this because Byron is the worst. Oh, Yes, I mean, ditto to everything you just said. I feel like especially after this season where we have seen both uh, Montgomery parents constantly lying to and about each other slash their kids and sort of continuing to enlist Arya in basically being like the family secret keeper. This hits so hard. Oh my God, poor Arya here. I think Lucy Hale does such a great job in this scene as she is just breaking down. Uh, And it just, it's so awful I, I feel like, you know, we've heard this situation talked about so much, especially in the first season, but actually seeing the conversation take place where Byron uh, directly uh, asks Arya, manipulates Arya really into keeping this secret is so hard. And oh, I just feel so awful for Arya here. And like you're saying, you know, with the comparisons to Prezra, it makes so much sense that somebody like Arya, who has been put in this position, particularly by her father, would end up in a dynamic with somebody like Ezra Fitz. Well, yeah, because what is Byron doing here? He is leveraging a power imbalance, just like he was doing when he was sleeping with this young female student. I mean, this is this is what he does. Uh, this is who he is, and it's also who Prezra is. So it's really uh, it's really a bummer for for Arya and for her relationship with men uh, that she got saddled with uh, this dude as her father figure also uh 
just to just to track it uh she finds out about his infidelity here so she didn't just keep the secret for the year that they were in iceland she kept this secret for him for almost two years before mona blew the whistle right right and and i think also you know it in addition to leveraging the power dynamics, the gaslighting that both Presra and Byron are doing all over the place. Um, it's, it's just, it's so, it's so manipulative. It's so terrible. And it is consistently putting Arya in the place of you're wrong. This is your mistake. You know, you, you have the opportunity to fix this. This is your responsibility. Um, you know, if you, if you would just sort of play along and follow the rules, this would all be fine. Um, which is completely the tactics of abusers, right? Like this is you, you messed up and this is why this is happening to you. Well, yeah. And this episode, like all episodes of PLL is really replete, uh, with men acting like women are the ones who are having the problem. Like Ella is too delicate. She must be spared this knowledge of her husband's infidelity. And the only one who can do that is Aria. Uh, and also then we have, um, uh, we have Wilden acting like it's it's Ashley who's being unreasonable by not wanting him uh, horning in on their home as the friendly cop on the block. So, yeah, just just like any episode, the men in this are behaving most terribly. Mm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, man. But on to a, a, a more a more charming pair. We have Emily and Allison here walking on the street. Allie says that she knows a doctor who can get Emily on the pill without even telling her mom. Interesting. Could this be Ren Kingston? Uh, You'll pry the idea that it's Ren Kingston out of my cold, dead hands. I don't care if the show is over. This was Ren. (laughs) Uh, Also, yet again, uh, you know, this idea that Allison, like, was a virgin at this point is completely preposterous because she knows a doctor who can get someone on the pill without telling their parents. Um, yeah. People, people who insist that, that Allison didn't, didn't have sex with someone. I, I just don't understand that. Um, Emily though admits that she and Ben are not having sex. She says, it's no big deal. Eventually we'll do it. And you know, if people just want to assume that now, what's the problem? Allie replies that she cannot figure Emily out, which understatement of the century but also i think you have a pretty good idea allison uh yeah shout out to allison running a hand down emily's arm leaving it on her elbow as she agrees not to tell anyone and also shout out to the uh continuation of the eye sex that they were having in the lunchroom because there's a good deal more of it here at the end of this scene oh yeah oh yeah totally totally i really really like um just Emily's energy around Allison here. It's just, it's so like, she just wants, there's just this wanting energy that is so palpable um, and, and really sweet, really, really sweet. I really agree. Uh, You know, later on, uh, like (laughs) later on in the timeline, but actually like just in the last episode uh, that we watched uh, when Allison says nobody no one else loves me like you do, Emily. I feel like you you get a look at that uh, in their scenes together in, in this particular episode. And also, I mean, sure, people do go on the pill for reasons other than, you know, it's, it's birth control properties to regulate, you know, sure. cramps or, uh, you know, heavy bleeding, things like that. 
Um, but yeah, Allison is definitely not talking about any of that here. Allison is definitely um, talking about going on the pill if you want to have uh, sex with some boys. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, at school, the girls are huddled around Allison's locker. Allie tells Spencer to stop worrying. She took care of it. Uh, Spencer is on edge. You can definitely read her as being on some study aids here. Uh, as Allison says, oh, she just helped Spencer with her acceptance speech. Aria comes over wearing a gravity-defying sequined top stewardess pillbox hat, which has to be bobby pinned within an inch of its life to be staying in her hair. Uh, Allie asks how her mom is, and Aria does not give a direct answer. Uh, she's spared from further inquiry by Lucas in a giant orange pumpkin shirt, spilling soda all over Allison's shoes, and then trying to wipe it up with his sleeve. Allison doesn't want him to touch her and calls him Hermie because this show has problems with transphobia and with making a mockery of intersex people. Uh, also, let's not forget this is Lucas. Like, this is Lucas's Twinkie defense that Allie devalued his masculinity by implying he was not 100% man beef. Oh. Um, after Allison walks away, Lucas snarls that someday Allison will get what's coming to her. He snarls this at Mona, who is bouncing up and down, about to ascend into hyper-adrenalized reality at any moment. Oh, yeah. I, I really love, um, I love Mona. Because Mo we see Mona be so cruel to Lucas at so many points in the series. And so I really enjoy Mona witnessing Allison's cruelty to Lucas and clearly like just documenting it in her brain. You know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then when the liar... Oh, were you going to say something to that? No, I was just going to finish out the scene that as the liars walk yeah. on, uh, there's an announcement that the wait is over, the votes are in, it was a tight race, but winning by two votes is Spencer Hastings. A small crowd surrounds Spencer with claps and cheers, and Allison winks at her because Allison has a crush on all of the liars this episode. <laughs> yes, yes, she, uh, she, she really does. She really does. Um, all right, so now it is, I guess, Halloween night. There are kids running all around trick-or-treating. The liars are in Spencer's bedroom, I believe. Um, Aria comes in as everybody is getting ready. Allison is in a terrible Lady G wig. Uh, Spencer is in a corset. Uh, Hannah is in her in her Britney outfit. Um, and I think Emily is not fully in her culturally appropriative Native American girl garb quite yet. Um, Aria comes in. She says she doesn't want to go to the party. Uh, the liars get kind of um, distracted by somebody outside watching them in that creepy mask. But then the doorbell rings. All of the liars except Allie and Aria go to answer it. And then Allie and Aria have this really fascinating conversation where Allie asks about Aria's parents, um, getting Aria to reveal that her mom doesn't know about, uh, about the affair. And basically, like tells Arya that she's being a real downer about this whole thing and can't Arya just like cheer up which again I feel like is a subtle scream reference because that's like um that's like what what Billy Loomis says to Sydney about her mom dying um which also is maybe a subtle shippy Arya Allison moment there too um Ali like simultaneously is saying that she'll miss Arya at the party and that Noel Khan didn't even know Arya's name a week ago and then when that weird game doesn't really pr produce the desired results, she uses the threat of telling on Byron to get Arya to go. 
this is so interesting. I feel like this is one of like maybe three Ali Arya scenes we ever get throughout the series. There are so few of them, but I'm really, really interested in their dynamic. Um, why is Ali so desperate for Arya to be there? Is it just, is this the kind of thing that Ali would pull all the time? Or is this party in particular special? Obviously, we know that Ali has this whole thing set up. Um, it's just, uh, it's it's really the, the push-pull between the two of them and the different tactics that Allie is using, I'm really, really fascinated by. What are your thoughts? Oh, I agree. And I think one of the most interesting things is you can tell, like you can tell earlier uh, when, when Arya is like, oh, she's not going to shave her head. Arya is not used to this kind of treatment from Allison. She is not used to like really seeing the weight of Allison's displeasure and the lengths that Allison will go to get her own way. So you do get a sense that their friendship is, is different. It's different than the other liars. There isn't this element of like continued manipulation that there is with Hannah or with Spencer or to a lesser degree, maybe with Emily. Uh, so I think that that's really interesting to observe. Aria is like really surprised and taken aback. She stands her ground pretty well. You see her, uh, you see her having a lot of confidence uh, in this episode and I think it's because Allie hasn't like subdued her really in the way that she subdued a lot of the others at this point I think that's totally true um, yeah. yes but oh. next thing we know but yeah next thing we know Arya is in uh, a witch costume that might she might be dressed particularly as Elvira uh, and she's just rustled that costume up and is heading to the party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this party. Oh, my. <laughs> this yeah, is a, this, is a, this is a big party. Yeah. Um, at the party, which it kind of goes back and forth between whether it's actually at a house uh, and not the con cabin for reasons unknown, uh, presumably because it needs to be in town. Uh but then later the woods are right there. So who knows? Uh, but there's a live band and we see the girls in their Halloween finery. Uh, Noel dressed as a doctor claiming to be a gyno with a Dr. Noel name tag uh, advises, you know, he like identifies their costumes as hot girl. See, no one knows Lady Gaga yet. Brittany, hot witch, Arya's Elvira, uh, hot mess of cultural appropriation. I mean, okay, he says hot Indian chick, but I'm editorializing. And he pauses because he has no idea what to say about Spencer. Uh, she helpfully explains that she is Mary, Queen of Scots, and goes on and on about how the throne was stolen from her and her family had her accused of treason and executed by her cousin. I mean, are the Tudors and the Stuarts the blueprint for the Drake Laurentis Hastings drama? Because they are both pretty ruthless. Um, Noel bounces before Spencer can go into her deep dive on the assassination of Lord Darnley because he sees Jenna. To be honest, I would watch an entire episode of Spencer in this costume describing questions of succession and the Protestant versus Catholic sympathies of the British realm in the 16th century. We don't get that. We get Noel rushing off to Jenna's side. Uh, Allison's eyes narrow as that she sees that Jenna is also dressed like Lady Gaga. Jenna gives her an over-sunglasses look, and the liars get their first ever sight of Jenna thing. Oh, my God. Yeah, and so this is where Just Dance starts playing, and Hannah actually says, is she dressed as Lady Gaga, too? And it's like, 
so what have we been doing this whole episode show what is this weird <laughs> game we've been playing <laughs> uh, but the liars go inside to start dancing to everyone's favorite lady g um everyone is dancing 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 mona in a cat suit uh walks over to Allison and meows at her in her like kind of popular Mona voice. This is not her nerdy Mona voice. Yeah. Yeah. So much is going on. Like the liars are dancing except for Spencer who cannot dance because she's in this giant, uh, this giant like corseted ball gown. Uh, So she's kind of sitting on the stairs. And I like to think that she has maybe wandered into a fic where Paige McCullers loves her costume and they have a spirited discussion about whether or not Mary's great granddaughter, Queen Anne, had intimate relations with the Duchess of Marlborough. Anyway. What is Paige's costume in this theoretical fic? So Paige's costume in this theoretical fic. Thoughts? Joan of Arc. That's very good. She would be so she would be kind of like in a knight suit of armor type thing, which would go really well with and she also wouldn't be able to dance very well because of elaborate costuming. So I I think there's a lot of potential. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Not that you've thought about this at all. No. 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 But it, it just, I feel like it would fit. It's such a queer episode. I mean, you were talking just now about Mona meowing at Allison. Um, when Allison asks if she knows her, Mona says, no, but you will. Someday you'll hold my hand after your divorce from Emily on the spinoff show. She doesn't say that, but she could because Vander Jesus. Is this, this is really the first time that we've seen these two characters interact to like out without other characters present. Right. Yeah. I think that that is true. And it's also the first time that Allison has acknowledged Mona at all in any of Mona's scenes where she like, because in this scene, Mona is not like in all the other Mona scenes where Mona is wearing her Mona face. uh, Allison just like, you know, she says, ignore it and it'll go away. She like, you know, they have nothing to do with each other where Mona really wants to be accepted and wants to have a response in this scene. When Mona is wearing the cat mask, this is the, this is really a, a feel that we get for Mona when she's wearing a mask and how different she can be. Uh, we, we get Mona really asserting herself and kind of taking, taking the fight to Allie. Well, yeah, I think that there's this really interesting dynamic in this episode where Allison is like drawn to all of these like hot girls basically. And her cover story is like, Oh, well, she's just trying to like, you know, keep tabs on the competition. It's like, cause she's the hot girl and nobody else is going to be, but like what ends up happening is that Allison is basically like flirting with all of these girls throughout this episode. I love that. I love that about this episode very very much it's like that thing that's like you know keep your your friends close and your enemies like so close that you're like practically kissing like whatever that quote (laughs) is like i feel like that's so much what's going on with allison in this episode like i just have to watch them all night i just have to like stand really close to them and like keep a really close eye on them Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it just like it just so happens that that means that she is surrounded by a pack of hot girls 24 7 it's just it's just the way it worked out it could happen to anyone okay vina (laughs) it was completely accidental 
yes. So so meanwhile, uh, Allie also spies Jenna, the next the next hot girl that she's going to be keeping very close tabs on. Um, Jenna is quickly making friends, chatting with um, with some other folks, and it's really interesting to imagine who Jenna could have become if she hadn't become the creepy blind dark queen uh, who haunts the liars every move. Um, Allie quickly makes these these boys that Jenna is talking with go away. Uh, and then Allie offers Jenna entry into the liar group. She says that she can basically make or break Jenna and that, uh, again, you know, keep your enemies really, really, really close. Jenna could be the sixth liar. Imagine Jenna as the sixth liar. But Jenna rejects the offer, saying that she likes to pick her own friends. And as she walks away, she and Mona have this interaction where Mona says, you're definitely the best Gaga. They uh, they introduce themselves to each other. And I almost wonder if this was like the writers being like, but what if the audience doesn't know it's Mona, even though it's so obvious that that's Mona. Um, and now I think it's their turn to go have sex in a bathroom. Oh, I completely agree. Um, we, we also get the, uh, we get Jenna kind of uh, taking off her sunglasses so that she can have the prolonged eye sex with Mona in, in this moment. So there's, there's just a lot happening. Um, I think you were talking earlier about how Allison, like her phrasing that she uses is kind of like something out of a, like a film noir almost, mm -hmm. uh, particularly when she disperses these guys who are around Jenna, she tells them to scram. I, I don't know if I have heard anyone use the word scram in earnest, like my whole life. So that... <laughs> That is kind of interesting. I mean, she's clear about what she wants and they do they do go ahead and scram. Um, but wow, that that's a, a bit of a dated <laughs> dated thing to say when you want to get rid of people. Um, I guess it, well, like she could have just been like, make like a tree and leave, you know, like this is <laughs> this is the level that we're at here. Um, totally. But I like also the way that Allison stares after Jenna, shocked and appalled and maybe a little turned on at Jenna's display of defiance. Uh, Jenna being a person who owes her no loyalty at all. Um, and also, uh, do you think her offer is a genuine one to Jenna? Do you think she would have brought Jenna in as a sixth liar? Or do you think she would have bounced Hannah or possibly Spencer from the group? Um, oh, that's a really interesting idea. Yeah, I think she probably would have would have bounced one of them or used Jenna as like a tool to to basically have them prove their loyalty to her, uh, which later in the episode she will she will provide a loyalty test. Um, I could definitely see that because I think that she feels like Jenna is more of a threat to her than maybe not more than Spencer, but definitely probably more than Hannah, especially now that she's confirmed that Hannah wasn't the one menacing her uh, at the costume shop. I guess um, the reason I think, and, and maybe I'm thinking from like stuff we know later about Spencer maybe being on the verge of being kicked out is that when, by the time it gets to Labor Day, by the time it gets to the period of Allison's disappearance, there's a lot of talk that Allison might have been about to eliminate Spencer from the group. That's true. That's very true. Yeah, definitely could be. Um, uh, so Allison wanders out onto the porch and Spencer, Queen of Scots, follows. Uh, she saw Allie talking to the new girl. What was that about? Uh, Allie says nothing. She's a slut. 
Jeez, Allie. Um, Allison pulls two ballots out of her interior jacket pocket, gay, and tells Spencer <laughs> she should destroy the evidence. Spencer hastily tosses them into a conveniently burning porch chimney of fire. Uh, Allison says she would have expected Spencer to look at them first. She might be surprised at who her friends aren't. Allie shoots a significant look at Hannah and Aria still inside the party. As she says this, Spencer looks wounded, uh, to which I say, oh, whatever. Hannah and Aria absolutely voted for Spencer. This is Allison playing mind games. Also, we get a burlap baby mask camera angle of someone watching them. Yes. Yeah, I love the immediacy of Spencer just, like, chucking the ballots into the fire. Um, But, yeah, I do think that Allison is bluffing here uh, around. Like, she knew that Spencer probably wasn't going to look at the ballots. She probably planned this all so that they'd be right next to that fire when this conversation Also, the ballots are a hilarious prop. Like, they're folded up and they say ballot (laughs) in giant letters. All All of the election props in this episode, we see Emily wearing a Spencer campaign button when they're at the lunch table, which is so sweet. And Spencer has these hilariously overproduced posters that show, like, her face in front of an American flag. Like there's a lot, there's a lot going on with this election paraphernalia here. How do you think we get our hands on one of those? Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) I hope they still have some. Oh, I do too. Um, So we, we cut around to another angle of the party and we see that there's actually live music playing here. Um, Was this band, playing lady gaga a minute ago uh, no no the band was taking a 15 minute break when they got to the party so there was like a brief oh, dj right. stint i my note on the band uh you usually have way more music notes than i do uh but the band playing at this party is giant drag so that's actually annie hardy on vocals or guitar but if you squint you can also pretend that it's alex drake <laughs> Oh God! I that would well, that like, would like so the long funny. brown hair and the bangs and the grungy T-shirt. Yep, yep. That would dance be, British that would be great. Like um, <laughs> unless the band starts singing like Chim Chimney. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Oh, okay. That's that's that is a very very funny mental image. Is Troy in <laughs> in a grungy getup singing that song? Um, so Hannah and Aria are off to go into the woods for a drink because <laughs> as Aria says, because Hannah says, can't, can't they just have, um, you know, the drink, like a keg, like a normal person. And Aria says, he's not just a normal person. He's Noel Khan, <laughs> which I feel like, um, that should be the official slogan of Noel Khan exclamation point. Um, as they get further into the woods, it gets kind of darker. They're feeling sort of isolated and they feel like they made a wrong turn. And somebody creepy scares them and they laugh, which of course you would. It's a Halloween party and you're teenagers and someone scares you in the woods. But it's so weird to see the liars laughing after being scared by somebody. Um, and it's kind of nice. It's like, oh, these are just like teenagers at a Halloween party. These aren't girls that are constantly on the verge of getting murdered every five seconds. Um We go back into the party where Emily is slow dancing with Ben, but staring at Jenna, who is kind of dancing on her own and making some very queer eye contact with Emily. Allison notices this queer energy exchange and goes over and asks Emily if she wants to taste her cherry chapstick. Nice 2008 reference, Allison. 
Um, and then whispers, don't worry, Em, your secret is safe with me. Emily kind of uh, checks herself and goes back to dancing with Ben. Uh, very, very interesting, everything that's going oh, on. Oh, heck yeah. Um, so Allison, like, Allison clocks this in about two seconds flat. Um, so my question mm-hmm. to you is, what is it that Allie recognizes here? Is it Emily's puppy dog eyes? Is it something that she sees in herself reflecting back at her? Is that how she knows? Uh, has she already known uh, that this is how Emily looks at her, but she's calling it now because she sees Emily looking that way at Jenna? Like, what? what is this? Oh, that's a good question. I, I mean, I think it's... I think it's maybe kind of all of the above. You know, I think that Allison is operating on a lot of levels here. I think that it's not just that Emily is looking at her. It's like there is this kind of energy happening. And I think that there's such a contrast between the Emily who is like dancing with Ben and trying to act like she's into it and the sort of uh, aliveness that Emily exhibits in terms of the way that she's looking at Jenna with so much interest. And Jenna is just looking back at her, like really looking back at her, but also there's, there's no, there's no hint that Jenna thinks that it's wrong. You know, to everything going on with Allison, that Allison, it's all like super, you know, cloak and dagger and um, always this hint of like, this isn't real. It's just for the boys. It's just a performance. Obviously Jenna isn't saying any words here. It's just in her eyes, but like, she's not hiding, you know, I mean, to, to quote Emily herself, like, don't look away. Like she's not looking away here. And um, yeah. So I, I think that Allison sees that she sees nobody looking away and that sets something off. Hmm. Hmm. What do you, yeah, what do you think? I, I do. I, I, th- I think it's all of those things. Uh, my lingering question is what she's afraid of. Like, is she afraid of losing a squad member or is she afraid of Emily transferring her affection to someone else? I think both. I also think that if Emily, like in this, in this theoretical universe where like Emily transfers her, her affections over to Jenna and like somehow, you know, Emily, it, Emily's sexuality isn't, doesn't become this kind of like big secret thing with Allison, but like maybe like Emily and Jenna, start dating or like Emily comes out earlier or something like that. Like part of how Allison controls Emily is a, by keeping the secret of Emily's and B by keeping Emily on the hook as being head over heels in love with her. And and Allison knows that. I mean, she, I think she, we talked about this a little bit on our last episode, but like Allison, Allison, I think both has feelings for Emily and knows how to manipulate Emily's feelings for her. Yeah, I definitely, definitely think that that's true. Um, But it's interesting that like all Emily does, Emily is like so far from being at a point where she's going to be able to say the words out loud that she is gay. But here, just in this scene, just from the intensity with which Emily is looking at Jenna and the way that Jenna is looking back at her, um, by the end of this scene, there are three people, really four, who know that Emily is gay. Emily, who has came into the scene knowing it in her heart. Allison, who's recognized it. Jenna, who's clearly recognized it. And also probably Mona, who I imagine is watching this extremely intently. 
<laughs> yes, she's just like eating popcorn the way that Hannah was earlier in this episode. Also, also I feel like uh, the level of disinterest that Emily is displaying in the, what she's actually doing of dancing with Ben, I feel like that is a level of disinterest mirrored by Toby and Spencer's recent makeouts where they're constantly <laughs> watching for whatever Jason is doing. To the point where I don't even think they got the same actor. <laughs> like, it's just a man, the back of a man's head. Yeah, he's wearing like a fedora. So it's not even, his head doesn't even have to look appreciably the same. No, no. He's just like, yeah, he's just, he's just there. Um, yeah, yeah. I love that. And I also love, I mean, we'll get to it next Halloween. But as we've talked about, Halloween really brings out the queerness in Jenna and Mona, I would say. Um, and next halloween jenna's gonna gonna have some eyes for uh for emily mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh from a distance burlap baby mask watches what's going on which is basically every scene could end with that because burlap baby mask is yeah there, there was like uh the wikipedia calls that calls that mask like a uh, zombie baby doll stalker and i was like oh my goodness who knows what that is but i'm i'm calling it burlap baby mask um Emily sits outside with her feelings. Uh, Hannah and Aria come over asking if she's seen Allie. Spencer is queening her way through the crowd and joins them. Our first, this is going to be our first full force liars without Allison scene. And it's coming like almost, you know, within the last 10 minutes of the episode. Um, Allie is still the topic of conversation as they all wonder if she ditched them. Then the liars get their first ever simultaneous text message. It's from Allie. She's in trouble. Come alone. I just find it so interesting. Again, like a contrast to later in the series, Emily is clearly like bummed and something's going on in this scene. Like she's, she's, she's mid revelation or, you know, something like she feels called out. Like she's, she's going through some feelings. And I feel like later in the series, the liars are so attuned to each other's like what each other are going through that they would immediately come over and be like, Emily, are you okay? What's going on? But instead they come over and immediately ask about Allison. That is a great point. Same thing with, uh, same thing with Aria when she shows up so upset uh, when they're all getting ready for the party mm-hmm. and, and no one else like clocks it or says anything about it. Totally. Yeah, totally. Uh, so the liars are sent this address um, as they go over to the creepy house. Is the creepy house, because at first I thought it was the Kavanaugh house, but then obviously it's not. Is this a house that we see in present day? No, no, I don't believe it is. It's 313 Mockingbird Lane. I don't believe it ever comes back. It's kind of shocking that they didn't bring it back in some way, just because, I mean, maybe they would have had to think about the Rosewood geography too much. But uh, yes, the liars make their way to this creepy, creepy house. Um, this is apparently like that house in the town where people go and do weird things on Halloween. Uh, they approach with caution. The house is spooky and dark. And as they go in, somebody is walking behind them. They creep around and continue to be followed throughout the house. They see a few, they happen to fa- upon a few creepy things. Like there's a suit on a mannequin that's casting this weird shadow on the wall. There's an old dollhouse with like dolls and and kind of paraphernalia out on the floor um 
few episodes ago, I talked about how PLL prepared me for Game of Thrones. And I'd like to add to my list that I'm completely accustomed to watching scenes where it's too dark to see a darned thing, such as when they're all walking around this house, looking at spooky things that you can't really see because it's too dark. Exactly, exactly. Um, They come up to a door where they can see uh, somebody walking behind it, but the door is locked. And then Allison opens it, seeming terrified. She claims that a guy grabbed her at the party, threatened her with a knife, and took her to this house to kill her. She pulls all the liars into the room. Hannah wants to call 911, but they don't seem to have any service. Allie goes out into the hallway for a signal, leaving the liars terrified and locked in the room. And then she starts to scream through the keyhole. It looks like Allie's being like beaten up by creepy baby burlap zombie mask person. But now the door is jammed. They can't get out really freaked out um, as, as Allie is like thrashed around in um, on the other side of the door. They eventually make it out through a window. Emily uh, has procured a bat, it looks like. Um, and they run around to the front of the house where they go back inside and in the downstairs of the house, Allie sits in a rocking chair holding a knife saying, I totally got you. The zombie was Noel, she says. Happy Halloween, it was all a hoax. She licks ketchup off the knife, makes one more cruel dig about Hannah's weight. Hannah wipes her eyes. Allie says that they all passed the loyalty test, and she kind of tries to play it all off as a joke, but the liars are not having it. Spencer especially seems annoyed by this cruel trick. Um, And, yeah, Allie kind of leaves the room and leaves them all to sort of uh, ponder, ponder this gambit. So the liars are clearly pretty shaken as Allison says that they passed the loyalty test. Uh, she knows that they would come help her no matter what. And she still tries to play the whole thing off as a joke, as a Halloween hoax, as she kind of, uh, she sort of brushes past them. But the liars are not having this. They seem really shaken up. Spencer especially uh, by all of this. Uh, Hannah and I think Emily are in tears. And they're all just kind of left stunned standing in the empty house. Yeah, this is a heck of a thing. Um, I love that Emily is the one who leads them into the haunted house. That Emily, at this point in the show, has like, uh, you know, not only the greatest love for Allison, but also uh, a physical bravery and and feeling like she's got something to Mm -hmm. prove. Um, I think it is, it's just really interesting. Uh, One thing that happens here is that Allison didn't get to the window at Spencer's house. She was the last person to the window to look at the person outside staring at them. So she didn't Hmm. see who that was in that scene. Yet here, uh, when they're they're in the, the room with her, she says it's the same freak who is staring at them at Spencer's. So we know, presumably, that she told Noel that that was Noel acting on her orders to come and stare up at Spencer's window and get the girls a little bit freaked out. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Honestly, I started to kind of lose track of everybody <laughs> in this creepy mask. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Also, this is this uh, whole thing is our first, uh, our first ever like the liars 
uh, try to lock themselves in and then something goes wrong and they can't get out, which is a thing that happens like so many times over the course of the show. Like they have the key, the key is in the room with them, but the door is jammed now. They can't get out uh, no matter how hard they try, which is going to happen to like, I mean, it happens, it seems like to almost every door the liars go through for the whole rest of the series. So it's, it's nice yep. that that's their their first sight of it um it's hilarious that they are trapped in a room they, they clearly showed them going upstairs so the room is on the second floor i have to assume that they got out the window and hannah shimmied down a drain pipe uh in order for them to escape as she later tries to shimmy up mona's when mona is grounded um and then this is just allison when they come upon her in the rocking chair they're so scared and she looks so unhinged like she looks unhinged in a different way when we thought that she was scared upstairs in the room she had like she wasn't in her gaga wig anymore she didn't have her same attitude she seemed to have like genuine fear that was coursing through her and this really speaks to like what a good actress allison is uh Mm -hmm. and i also wonder if they were gonna eventually go with the twins thing like if they thought that uh you know in the books allison has the twin courtney i wondered if they were gonna go for a thing where Allison was murdered off screen in in this episode somehow. Like Courtney is the one who's downstairs mm. in the rocking chair. Um, but that that winds up, of course, not being the direction that they went. Oh, that would be very interesting. That would be very, very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, well, and also like, so do you think that this is just a Halloween? prank or do you think that allison is doing this as like a maniacal team building experience to prepare them uh for if she leaves i don't know if it's necessarily to prepare them for if she leaves i do think that she's kind of trying to test um like almost this is a an extreme example but almost like the way that um like with with like Jonestown, they would do like Jim Jones would do these loyalty tests where he would give people all, you know, a bunch of a bunch of this drink and tell them that it was poisoned and watch the reactions and see who like who was a true believer and was like, yes, I'm happy to go be with God and who was freaking out and like this, you know, this is terrible. I hate this, you know, trying to escape. I almost feel like that's a little bit what Allison is doing here. Like she is she is testing the loyalty here to see um to see their reactions and according to her it sounds like they all passed the test they all came through they all wanted to try to save her nobody ran away um and also nobody called the cops even though they talked about calling the cops um nobody ran back to the party nobody told anybody else like they all stayed they contained the information and they tried to get to her and i kind of think that that's what she was trying to test like if the chips were down what would the liars do? Um, and they didn't rat her out and they all stayed. And so I think that in that way, they did They did sort of pass her test, even if she maybe has individual concerns about- Yeah, and we also see Spencer take on the mantle of leader for the first time, even though it's Emily who leads them into the haunted house. Uh, Spencer is the only one who speaks to Allison after Allison does this. Spencer is the one who, when Allison says that it's a joke, mm-hmm. Spencer says, nobody's laughing. Um, which I think is right. is notable. Ah, this this prank, man. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um. So sorry to sorry to interrupt, but like, so is oh, what Mona? 
<laughs> what a great question. Head? I had that for discussion at the end of the episode. Um, yeah. Okay. We, we can wait if let's, you want. We can let's get, get to, to the, the end of the party because there sure. a little bit more will be revealed. Um, back at the party, it is a totally different crowd. Everyone is so much older because Eric Kahn, Noel's older brother, and his friends, including Melissa and Ian, are now out in force. Uh, Allie tries to flirt with Ian, but Melissa shuts her down with some Bonnie and Clyde PDA. Elsewhere, Darren Wilden in his cop uniform is chatting up Jenna and making no move to break up this party where a lot of underage drinking is going on. Uh, someone in a burlap baby mask brushes past Allison and calls her a bitch. Uh, as he walks off, we see Lucas rip off the burlap baby mask. Noel comes over and tells Allie not to hate him. She's like, are you kidding? It was great. The way you shoved me up against that wall, you even scared me. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. Eric took the car to go get more beer. So Noel was actually stuck at the party. Uh, he swears if someone messed with them, it wasn't him. He bounces, leaving Allison to wonder who attacked her and why. Uh, then she gets a dying to know who I am. You'll find out a message, uh, which is the first confirmation that Allison was also uh, being stalked by A. Uh, the liars ask who it is. Allie says it's a secret. Uh, then she turns and sees several people wearing baby mask costumes, including one person in the bushes, unseen, who takes off the mask and drops it in the grass. Who could it be? So, who was it? Was it Lucas? Mona? Melissa? Noel? Charlotte? Bethany? Jenna? Let's discuss. Oh, I really like the idea of it being Charlotte, actually. I think that's really interesting because that, first of all, like, it's very similar to the whole Charlotte Mona thing at the end of season or midway through season five. But also it really seems to fit with the idea that Charlotte might be trying to get Allison out of Rosewood because she thinks that it's not safe for Allison there. And um, this feels like something that she could do to, to kind of scare her into leaving. Um, I think that's also a really it would tie idea. into the twin story that came at the beginning of this episode. Yes. Um, however, I don't think Charlotte was even a blip on the writer's radar at this point. So even though I like I like the headcanon idea that it could be Charlotte, I don't think in the text of the show it is supposed to be Charlotte. I think it's probably supposed to be Mona. I don't, this doesn't feel like something Mona would do though. Like this isn't, that's not really. Mona's and game. I'll tell you, I don't, I, I know, I know that we're like supposed to just like go with whatever, because the show had different people doing the A parts at different times, but I don't think I have a really hard time saying that this is Mona because I feel like uh, baby doll killer mask is taller than Allison. Uh, and so I, I have trouble believing uh, that this is Mona unless hyperadrenalized reality also causes her to like shoot up several inches, which maybe it does. But I'll so tell you who, I mean, Charlotte, I think is a great pick. Uh, I also really like the idea that it was Noel and that Noel's like ultimate prank was saying that it wasn't him because Allie actually even says to him, you better not be lying. So Allie even kind of feels like she was sure it was Noel. 
Uh, and I, I think that that certainty does carry some weight with me. It does feel like that is the prank that Noel would pull after helping Allie with her prank is to make Allie think that it was someone else entirely. Uh, but I'll also tell you that if it's not Noel, my second favorite person for this is actually Melissa, uh, who was not at the party until they got back. Cause I feel like there's a lot of antagonism between Melissa and Allie in this episode. And this feels like, uh, you know, Melissa, Melissa always turns out to be a person in a costume. Uh, you know, she's black swan. She's the queen of hearts. Uh, I, I think it would be fine for her to be baby doll mask as well. Uh, the show doesn't ever actually tell us who this was. Uh, the anger certainly fits Lucas, but I would also say, uh, that probably if you ask Marlene, she would say it was Sarah Harvey. <laughs> oh, our sweet, our sweet shower. Uh, yeah, I, I like Melissa a lot. I also think it could be Ian, um, you know, trying to, to, to put some distance between the two of them, potentially. Uh, do you think that this person was actually trying to kill Allison? I think they were her? trying to scare her. Okay. That makes sense. But A is never really genuinely trying to murder them most of the time. Uh, so this seems like one of those one of those frequent A interactions where something really scary happens. But it seems like if there was an actual intent for a liar to be killed, that A could have done it. But for whatever reason, they didn't. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, I also just I'm super I'm always super fascinated by like the older class of the Rosewood students. Um, it's kind of like it's the, the Eric Khan age kids, the Melissa's and the Ian's. Um, I always feel like they're such interesting analogs for the liars. And the idea that the liars come back to this party and it's like it's this older group of kids. I find that super, super interesting. And I like the idea that one of those people is probably the person who, who attacked Allison. Um, also, I love the idea that like Charlotte is just off screen um, in, I don't know what. Eric's there. Is. Ian's there. Melissa's there. Darren Wilden is there. I, I feel like a strong case can be made that Charlotte De Laurentiis would be at this party. Yes. And yeah, just like waiting to waiting to drag Melissa into the empty house and get. Yeah. So you said you weren't sure what Charlotte's costume would be. You don't think she'd be like a third Gaga? (laughs) (laughs) I you know, what would be funny would be if Charlotte was like a version of Gaga that didn't exist (laughs) at that point, like because Gaga's gone through so many iterations. If if uh, if Charlotte was like, um, you know like a star is born gaga or like like the like the, the countess from american horror story or something like because like charlotte of course would know like she would know who who future gaga could be maybe she, or maybe she could be another a different pop star because there there do seems to be a lot there do seem to be a lot of pop stars at this uh also time. it's not completely out of line that charlotte could be baby doll mask face because charlotte does hide behind the baby doll mask uh, in the Christmas episode when Charlotte is A and we see all the dolls in Allison's attic and she like hides behind the baby doll mask and watches Spencer. True. Is there any possibility that baby doll mask is oh. Shauna? 
Well, I mean, she later works at a costume shop, so anything is possible. (laughs) She gets a discount. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I, again, the timeline gets so weird. I guess maybe it also could be Jason, potentially. I don't know why Mm -hmm. he would do that, Mm -hmm. but um, he might, he might have his reasons. Could be Alex Drake. No, Alex Drake is playing bass at the party. (laughs) Everybody is secretly (laughs) Alex Drake. Um, Yes, so that is the first secret. Uh, So good to get a glimpse into Allison, um, Allison's like true self underneath it all and yet we still have so many that is the beauty of this allison everything that she says is open to speculation is it true is it a lie what does she mean who is her friend who is her enemy what does that even mean uh this is just really this is just really a great episode uh for like allison as a rorschach blot where you look at her and you just see uh you know like what you see says more about you than it does almost about her. Mm-hmm. Well, and I find it so interesting um, coming on the heels of the Allison and Emily Barnes. Scene yeah, this is a lot of Emerson in these two sequential episodes. This is like possibly like the most two episode Emerson uh, you, you really get as the show goes on. Um, but I'll take it. I'll, I'll take it very happily. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's uh, it, it'll be slim pickings as the show goes on, and yeah, it's so fun to just see to see the. Yeah, and also you see Allison. Uh, you see Allison running a lot of game on the guys in this episode. Uh, you see this plot that she's running with Noel. Uh, you see her consistently flirting with Ian every time the two of them are on screen together. But I think it still speaks volumes that, like, the emotional connections that you see Allison having in this episode are all with women. Mm-hmm. And that the characters that she seems most sort of both intrigued and threatened by yeah. are women. Yeah, absolutely. She just, she seems to have a lot more depth of care. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also really enjoy how this episode, uh, even though sometimes the Mona Lucas mirroring bugs me, I actually really like it in this episode because, again, in that way that Lucas is always, Lucas always gets to be more openly in love with Hannah uh, than Mona by virtue of many different things. He also gets to be more sort of openly antagonistic towards Allison here, probably because they knew that if Mona was, that would tip it too clearly, you know, that Mona was A. Um, but I, I really, really like how there's so many times I feel like where Lucas kind of functions as Mona's inner monologue. And, uh, I, I feel like that's really true in this episode. However, like Lucas, you had all day to prepare for how you were going to get back at Allison and how you do it is by walking by her and saying the word bitch really loudly and walking away. It really is. It really is. I think that there's, um, the thing that I would like about if Lucas was the baby doll, face which i don't really think that he was but uh the thing i would like about that is how our current interpretation of lucas as an incel the baby doll mask is such a great uh metaphor for how brave guys can be online when they are anonymously trolling people uh versus the way they conduct themselves in 
everyday life. Um, so that's that's a part that I would like about it. But it still works because that's what Lucas is doing. He's like calling her a bitch when he can face no consequences for doing so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He's still completely terrified of her. And yeah, but the bravery of people when they're wearing masks does emerge as a theme in this episode and continues to be a theme for the rest of the run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is really preparing us for so many, like, masked balls and, and galas that we'll, we'll get to yes, as the series yes. goes on. Huh. Um, so, yeah, that was the first secret. If you have, uh, if you have any particular thoughts on who you think was in uh, the baby doll mask costume, please let us know. Uh, if you have uh, thoughts on any of the queer lady eye sex that was going on, if you have a favorite... Uh, moment of that please let us know or if you want to write the mchastings at this party joan of arc mary queen of scots au uh please please let us know um but yeah you you can email us at everybody a podcast at gmail.com uh or you can see us on uh instagram check out some of the screen caps um and then oh we have news which is that pll is going off of netflix on july 27th such a bummer for anybody who is rewatching with us. Yes, absolutely. Um, and such a bummer for anybody who's <laughs> podcasting on the sh- about the show as well. But uh, never fear. We, um, we know that Marlene is trying to silence us, but we will not, we will not be silenced. We will persist. Um, yes, we will. We will continue. We will continue podcasting. We will continue uh, watching the episodes uh, in one way or another. Uh, but yes, it is, it is, it is unfortunate um, that this is, that this is happening, but well, you know, the show, the show is still out there. We just have to, we just have to get our hands on it. Um, do you have a favorite moment of, uh, of, of the queer, queer lady? Ooh, I, I mean, classic for a reason. It's gotta be Emily and Jenna while Jenna is doing her sexy Gaga dancing by herself. It's the most overt and uh yeah and it's and i think it's the most interesting in terms of like oh what could have been like the possibilities this is not necessarily a ship that we've considered before within the show and it's like oh yeah yeah i think that that's a a super it's a super interesting question that i have explored in at least two different fix uh i like them i like them at this party (laughs) quite a bit yeah i agree um, and yes, we would also appreciate a rating and review on iTunes if you if you so choose. Uh, next week we are going to be picking up with Two B. It's crazy. We are already in season. Yes, 2B. and the, we're going to kick it off with uh, through many dangers, toils, and snares, which is an episode that uh, it it features the big reveal of Presria. That's the number one thing that happens. Yes, yes, it's a great episode. There's also some liar fake fights, if I recall, um, some orange jumpsuits, and uh, yeah, it's it's a good one. It's a good one, and the the greenhouse I it think, does. comes back. Yeah, episode, yeah, it too, does. It? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about what you're afraid of? I love that line. Um, Emily gets glass. Is that the one where Emily gets? Glass oh, is head? I feel like that's later on, but it it could be any episode. It could be the episode where Emily gets glass in her hair. <laughs> Oh, well, regardless, it'll be a fun one to talk about. Um, you already did our did our how to reach us, so we'll just say Yeah, 2B coming up. 
Oh, 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 oh,